If you've stumbled on this podcast looking for the best all-natural, organic, high-protein diet to feed your fish? Um, <laughs> I, I think you maybe need professional help, and this is not that podcast. <laughs> this is Comedy Tragedy Marriage. You like that one, huh? I did. Okay, good. All right. Oh, uh, hey, by the way, welcome to this edition of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I think it's 26, but I'm not. Do you remember if I said 26 last time? I don't know. I don't count. You don't count. All That's right. math. Um, yeah. Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Podcast where a couple of old married folks sit down, watch something, take turns picking it. And then uh, sit down and discuss it. It was my turn Introduce to... yourself. Oh, I, I, I was getting there. <laughs> oh. I was getting there. Uh, I see the tone on your face. It, yeah. Yeah. All right. This week it was my turn to pick. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com as well as monthly for WIMZ.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Movie Man Stan. You can follow the podcast at CT Marriage on Twitter as well. Um, and uh, joining me, as always, is my significantly better half. Not better. Um, Maud the Scaly Broad. Uh, oh, my goodness. Maud the Scaly Broad. Of course, you've seen the name of this episode, so that makes a certain amount of sense if you're familiar with the film. We watched. Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. Um, it stars Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Doug Jones, Michael Stuhlbarg, Octavia Spencer, and more. It is set in the early to, well, the early 1960s, because I believe the Cuban Missile Crisis was, uh, they were, you could hear a speech from President Kennedy on the radio. Yeah. Um, and there is a secret research facility where uh, they work on various military projects. And one of those projects is um, about uh, sending the first American man into space or improving how they breathe when they go up there. Um, and um, Richard Strickland, uh, he's a colonel, uh, and he is played by Michael Shannon. He's uh, sort of in charge of this particular project involving a uh, creature known as the Asset, or the Amphibian Man, uh, played by Doug Jones. Uh, the amphibious creature, referred to as Asset, um, can breathe both in air and in water. Um, and uh, he is going to be essentially dissected to see how his respiratory system works in order to see if that can be applied to the American space program. Now, there are a couple of uh, maintenance workers, uh, two women, Octavius, or, uh, Zelda Delilah Fuller, played by Octavia Spencer, and Eliza Esposito, played by Sally Hawkins. Cleaning uh, ladies, basically. Cleaning ladies. Um, one, a couple of members of the maintenance staff. Uh, they clean this... Um, uh, research lab where the amphibian man or the asset is kept. Um, Eliza is mute. She can hear, but she cannot speak, and she has some rather large scars on both sides of her neck. 
Um, and once uh, she sees the asset, she realizes there's more to him than meets the eye and begins kind of a, a relationship with him. Uh, she introduces him to music. Eggs. And to hard-boiled eggs. Um, and and he, to sign language. He learns a word or two of sign language because she does the sign for egg. And he repeats it back to her later on. He does this. She does the sign for music. For music, and he repeats that back to her. And he he apparently enjoys the big band records that uh, she plays for him. Um, and a uh, a doctor, uh, Doctor Robert Hofstetler, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, is in charge of the science uh, investigating this uh, creature and the care and feeding. Uh, While yes. he's in captivity. Right. Um, but he has a secret. His name isn't Robert Hofstetler. It's Dmitry Muzenkov. And he is a Soviet agent. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, it's not really that much of a spoiler. Uh, he um, is trying to get his handlers to arrange an extraction of the creature so that he can take it to Russia and study it there. But... Uh, the Russians don't want to do that. And um, Richard Strickland is, hates this creature. He considers it an abomination. Um, and he wants to kill it. He wants it to be dissected. Vivisected, actually, vivisected is so the word that, he used. Yeah, so that he can um, uh, study it. But he just wants to kill it because he, he hates it. Um, he considers it uh, a violation of God's laws. Um, he, uh, uh, it's an aberration, an abomination. And uh, he enjoys torturing it with a cattle prod, amongst other things. Of course, you know, the, the asset did bite two of his fingers off. So he, okay, dude, he deserved it. Completely yeah, deserved it. Dude had it coming. Right. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he hates it for on, on various levels. Uh, Eliza uh, decides that she's going to break the asset out of the laboratory and uh, uses uh, the help of her friend Giles, played by Richard Jennings, um, to, um, you know, to help get him out. And eventually, uh, also, Zelda also uh, helps her out as well. Um, and what it is, is an adult fairy tale. But so much more. But you, so much more, yes. You tricked me. I, I, I did not. You tricked me. I did not. What did I do? You told me that it's basically a monster flick, and I don't know if you'll like it. Okay. It is so much more than a monster flick. It is, um, it is a buddy story. It is science fiction. Mm -hmm. It is a suspenseful spy caper. Kind of a Cold War story, yeah. And ultimately... Um, two themes emerge for me. Um, the commonality among several of the characters of being outcasts or um, somehow seen as other. Or lesser than. Lesser than, yes. And ultimately, my big takeaway is that it was a love story. So, yeah, you tricked me. You well, totally tricked me. I figure it's better to undersell it and let it be a surprise than to oversell it and then you not like it. Yeah, but you missold it. <laughs> well, you, not exactly. You just, you said, well, but it's basically a monster flick. Well, 
not really. Well, it... uh, Speaking of the monster, I have to give huge props to Doug Jones, who has basically made pretty much his entire stock and trade as an actor is playing creatures. Yes, and a lot of them in uh, Guillermo del Toro movies. Uh Aha! He was uh, in... He played two or three different creatures in Pan's Labyrinth, uh, which was, I believe... I believe uh, um, the foreign language winner um, some several years ago. Oh, look, a smartphone. It's uh, it's a really it's it's kind of this combination of stories as well. Uh, it's about a little girl whose mother is married to a Nazi, uh, and they're in I think Brazil, and um, she has this fantasy life in order to escape you know, the, the awfulness of, um, uh, of the war, uh, even though they're in Brazil, I think. Yeah, 2006, 2007 was, was the Pan's Labyrinth, um, reign of glory. Um, but no, back to Doug Jones. He, most recently we see him in Star Trek Discovery Mm -hmm. as what is that species of creature that he plays well, if you hadn't asked me i probably could have told oh, you oh look again a, like a, a smartphone, smartphone. um, um <laughs> <laughs> oh we do that character name saru saru yes um, um star trek discovery um yeah i'm not this f- is great podcasting by the that way is, this it's this is good radio <laughs> i am here to tell you uh try doug jones alien or star trek uh, Doug Jones alien. Um, or go to the wiki page. I'm, I'm smacking on Doug Jones. Anyway, Doug Jones plays two or three uh, highly costumed, make-uped characters in Pan's Labyrinth, amongst other films. I've seen him in a couple of bad horror movies. Not his fault. But. And he's interesting looking without the makeup on mm-hmm. he's 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 built like a piece of spaghetti he's yeah. very long and very thin yeah and it, his his physique lends him toward um playing such characters as these and he has uh he studied both mime and contortion so which when you're six foot four contorting yourself and and being all like ankles knees and elbows like that um he's he's an impressive actor and even what what i've liked about him is that even underneath the prosthetics and the makeup and what all he um you still see facial expressions Mm -hmm. there he's really really talented well that particular costume you know there's probably a lot of hydraulics work in the eyes and the gills and all that stuff um, and, um, um, you know, but it's his body that is the real actor yeah. because he's, you know, he's buried under pounds and pounds of, uh, latex. He's a Kelpian. Kelpian. Lord, Thank it you. took me forever to find that. <laughs> Ugh, I'm exhausted now. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he is really great at those roles. And I was kind of hoping when, um, uh, when I saw that he was being cast in Star Trek Discovery, that maybe we'd actually get to see his face. 
but no, he's covered under a bunch of stuff. Latex and prosthetics, um, but you know what? It's fine. It, well, it is, but, you know, that is not a pleasant experience to be encased in all that stuff all the time. Well, no, but he. this is where he excels, though. And um, I would think that after so much of his career doing such parts as these, it's part and parcel for him now. Um, more shouts out to... Octavia Spencer is just glorious. I love her. I love everything about her. She is marvelous. Whatever she's in, I just adore her. Yeah, she's she kind of comic relief in this film, but also she's the voice of reason, even though reason isn't always right. She's very earthy. Yeah. Um, always. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved her supporting role in this. She, she brought a lot of spice and flavor, I think, to something that could have just been a throwaway for possibly another actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we adore her. Um. Sally Hawkins. Sandy Hawkins? Sally. Sally Hawkins, mm-hmm. um, plays the female lead, um, Eliza Esposito, the mute, the mute, um, cleaning lady at the science facility. Her face is so evocative and so emotive, and she, without speaking a word until the very, very end of the film, she rings more um, emotion and more drama from this character and from her story, much of which we don't ever really know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened to her that made her mute. Mm-hmm. We know that she is hearing. We know that she um, is proficient at American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. We don't know her backstory, but we know that we there's know a we know there's a lot there's, to her. There's a there's there's an, an illusion made. Yes, uh, we don't want to spoil it for you, but yeah, there's some suggestion as to her her background later in the film. Yeah, um, I reviewed this film when it came out and. About Sally Hawkins, um, I said she is mesmerizing as Eliza. She's able to convey more with a look than most actors can with pages of dialogue. Some might consider playing a mute to be confining, but Hawkins is able to express more emotion and thought with an expression than you might think possible. Her use of sign language is subtle and beautiful until it becomes emotional. Then her movements become emphatic and almost violent. Hawkins expresses her feelings and thoughts through movement in a kind of ballet that holds the eye and demands the viewer pay attention. It's an amazing performance. Yeah, agreed. And she dances. Mm-hmm. We see her dance. So does Doug Jones in that old outfit. I know! <laughs> There's a fantasy sequence late in the film where she's getting ready to say goodbye to him. To, to release him back into the, into the ocean, although he's not from the ocean. But um, he was pulled out of a jungle in South America. The Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, there's this fantasy sequence where she's she starts to sort of whisper the song. You'll never know. And then all of a sudden there's a band and a set and she's in a dress and... Yeah. And he's there. <laughs> <laughs> in his in scales his, and fins right. and whatnot. And they and they do this very lovely dance number. Very Fred and Ginger was, of them. 
and her dress is all frilly and mm-hmm. flowy and um and then as per often the dance dream sequences are toward the end of the song they return to present day grim reality mm-hmm. and what's coming the the dingy apartment I love the scene on the sofa where she's watching TV with Giles, her friend, who mm-hmm. has his own backstory yes. that I found um, compelling what little bit we got of that. Um, but they like, they're sitting on the couch, but they're dancing with their feet. Mm-hmm. That was just humorous and graceful and beautifully done, I thought. Yeah, I, I can't express how much I love this movie. It... Even watching it again, knowing what was going to happen, and 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 getting to the very end before they bring up the title again at the end, um, it I almost cried again. Aww. I mean, and then hashtag all the feels. I know. Aww. And um, when um, after I left the theater, when uh, when I was you know walking to the car or driving to wherever it was I was going after that. Um, the song would, you know, I'd start hearing the song in my head. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I'm all warm inside. Aww, I mean. Warm and fuzzy. It's it's just such a sweet, I mean, it's a complicated film. It's far more complicated than we're, we're making it out to be. Because you've got Michael Shannon's character who is an overt racist. I mean, he, he talks down to Octavia Spencer's character. He's just he's just despisable in every way. Well, he's an awful person. He's an awful person. Um, he <laughs> there's this you, you can tell that despite how he puts on at home, he's not happy at home. He's not happy with his wife. He's not happy to have kids. He's not happy with anything. I don't think so. No. And um there's the scene where he and his wife are having sex. Oh yeah, this is not for kids, by the way. We no, no, see no. some butt cheeks and some boobies. Yeah, there's yeah, and 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 a little other few other things. Um, full, full frontal female. Yeah, um, and he puts his hand over her mouth and tells her to be quiet, be quiet, silence, silent. Yeah, and it's like, oh no, it's just cringy. This is. She doesn't know it, but she's in an abusive relationship because uh, yeah. he is he is just an awful human being. He's horrible. Um, and the person, of course, that had this movie been made in the 60s or 70s would have been the villain uh, is Michael Stuhlbarg, the Soviet agent who turns out to be really a hero. Yeah. Um, because he's not just a pure ideologue. He's... Um, he's... Uh, he's interested he's, in science. Yeah, he's a student. He wants to learn about this creature, regardless of what government. Yeah, no matter which government tells him he has to kill it. Yeah. And they both do. And he doesn't want to for either. Yeah, he's uh, he is uh, he's he's passionate about science, and he wants to uh, learn all he can about this creature without killing it. Yeah. That's very important. He's... He's all about not killing the creature, even though, like I said, both both governments want him want him to kill it. Um, uh, the look of the film, of course, it's it's set in the 1960s, but um, it's got this sort of retro drab. <laughs> um, 
kind of shabby chic look to it. More shabby than chic. Yeah. It's it's got Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. I can speak and use my words. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of his films have a look to them. This, I think, adheres to that aesthetic as far as his use of color and light and darkness and shadow. A lot of the film is very dimly lit. Mm-hmm. Um, the colors are subdued, um, but rich in some instances. I mean, like anytime you see red, it's very rich. Mm-hmm. It may not be bright, but it's it's well saturated, mm-hmm. for example. But it's it's got the del Toro look. I think. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that popped out early is when uh, Giles and Eliza go to the pie shop, and they buy the pie, and they mm-hmm. take it home to eat it, and it's that awful dark green color, like nothing you would want to put in your mouth. Yeah, key lime pie is it's not, not supposed that color. to be the darker than grass green, and it certainly doesn't leave your tongue that color. That's... <laughs> That's right. If it does, you need to go see the doctor and you need to give your pie people a good recipe <laughs> because that's just wrong. Yeah, no, that wasn't that that was very unappealing, um unappetizing and uh But they go there for reasons yes. and we learn a little bit more about Giles's story, which I saw something like that coming. Like the minute we see Giles, I knew that that he had an other quality about him that that lent to his misfit less than yes well persona. he's actually got two he's a recovering alcoholic and he's gay uh in the early 1960s being an active alcoholic was more forgivable than being gay oh yeah um and um eliza is giles only friend yeah and he understands sign language so Aside from um, Zelda, um, Giles is Eliza's only only friend. friend. Yeah, because not many people Bill can understand can her understand. Language. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh huh. I'm and, having problems. <laughs> and um, yeah, it. This is this is a story of others everybody in this film is an other um whether they realize it or not zelda's black Mm -hmm. um eliza is mute Mm -hmm. giles is gay Mm -hmm. and recovering Mm -hmm. and also um fighting with his own um demons with regard to aging that that as well that was fairly, I mean, that was kind of prominent to me, mm-hmm. how that was. He's like, you know, aging, middle-aged, gay man, so sad in his plight. Um, and then, of course, you have the asset who... Everything is, about him's other, is except... A very... Except he's very human. Of course, he's probably the most human character in the whole he, thing. He falls in love. Mm-hmm. He... Um, learns to communicate he he has his own story then you have uh dr stuhlbarg who is a duality because he's a man of science but he's also a man of of you know deception he's he's a soviet agent yeah uh and then you have michael shannon's 
character. What a strictly. tool. I mean, this guy, except tools are useful. It's really not, you shouldn't insult someone by calling them a tool. Um, well, he is, just, a, he is a useful tool for the military. He is a tool, yeah. The, the only time we see any spark of life in him is when he's kissing up to the general. Yeah. And the general smacks that down late in the film. Which he had it coming. He did. Um, but he's a little more difficult to put in, in a place because he's um, he considers himself the ultimate American male. He is the the husband, father, upstanding citizen, patriot. Member of the military. Yeah. Doing uh, the government's work. Uh, trying to beat back communism. And the Lord's work. Yeah, that too. He's just despicable, and it, I loved hating him. I just thought of it, because nobody can live up to his standard. That makes him the other in that way. Mm, including himself. Including himself. Which was delightful to watch the meltdown kind of happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon plays psychopaths better than anybody uh, just about well there's a small cadre of actors i think who excel at the woo woo <laughs> super super messed up villain kind of people mm -hmm. and he's one of those yeah, for sure definitely because just just looking at him he's practically he, he genetically he 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 is destined to be the bad guy. He's got the bad guy look going for sure. Yeah. He's got, he's got this in this film particularly, and I don't know how much was achieved with makeup, lighting, whatever, but he is just this granite stone faced, craggy, mean, hard looking guy. Very severe. Very severe. Yes. Yes. That's a good description. Thank um, you. But yeah, he, Everybody in this movie's great. As soft as Sally Hawkins is, mm -hmm. he is equally um, granite hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with in that. His, his facial features, his performance of his character, which is totally, I think, how it should have been played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they had to be the polar opposites. Yeah. Um, with the the asset kind of in the middle and uh, you know the asset is dangerous we see that early on and we yeah. see that later um yeah he's but, got claws and mad skills yo <laughs> uh, he's got all kinds of skills i did feel sorry for giles's cat but you know things happen well even um, giles forgave him that's true uh, but yeah, it's, I, this movie just makes me all warm inside and I love it so much. Do you want to rate it? We'll talk about that more. Oh, okay. Right after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We are talking about The Shape of Water. It won four Academy Awards, um, the year it came out. Uh, it was considered... Um, a terrific film right off the bat with a Rotten Tomatoes score of 92 and a Metacritic score of 87. It was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. It won four Oscars, including Best Picture and 
Best Director for Guillermo del Toro. Score. Huh? The musical score. Yes, it, it won for score and something else. I forget what the Alexander Desplat mm-hmm. did the score. I'm a music geek. We have established this. Um, the score to this film does what you want a film score to do. It enhances what you're seeing on the screen. It heightens your emotion. It um, fades into the background when you need it to, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in reading the wiki um, page about this film, um, I read that um, composer Alexandre Desplat actually collaborated with opera singer Renee Fleming on the score. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, you hear a glorious rendition of um, the old standard love song, You'll Never Know. I was hoping against hope that it was Octavia Spencer singing this because she had this lovely role in the movie. She does have a lovely voice, and I was I was hoping it was her because she's, she's a singer. Mm-hmm. It was Renee Fleming doing an opera and doing very much Great American Songbook standard and doing it beautifully. So oh, yeah. while it wasn't what I wanted... I was still delighted. Yeah, it's um, you hear "You'll Never Know" three or four times throughout the film. You do. Um, you hear Carmen Miranda. <laughs> you hear you hear actually, which I had never heard before, um, the theme to "A Summer Place" with words, and it was Andy Williams. Mm-hmm. And I was able to recognize that it was Andy Williams. I'm like, dang, I didn't know this song actually had words on it. Oh yeah, well yeah, he's. <laughs> I, I think yeah, using Andy Williams' The Summer Place in the Cadillac dealership was definitely intentional. It wasn't just, um, you know, they had the music and that's where they decided to put it. I, oh, no. I, it was definitely... Sometimes music plays a character. Mm-hmm. Tarantino's films oh, yeah. use music as part of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this instance, I think... Um, Del Toro kind of did a little bit of the same thing, and it was a wink. Oh, yeah. Uh, this movie was very successful. It only had a budget of $20 million, which only. is fairly cheap. Well, yeah. Especially for a special, somewhat special effects movie. Yeah. Lots uh, of makeup and lighting, for sure. The I'm sure that suit alone probably ate up a chunk of the budget. Ugh, and all that water? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Um, and it made over $195 million worldwide. This is a good return on investment, people. It certainly Even is. I can do this kind of math. <laughs> well, and you figure uh, they uh, the studio gets about half of the box office. So, you know, it made $100 million, roughly $100 million. I could make that work. I, I could struggle by somehow with that amount of money. Yeah. Again, this is math that I can do. Yeah. All right. Let's rate it. What did you think of The Shape of Water? I loved it. Really? I did. Yay. Yay. Um, it would have hurt I, my feelings so bad if you didn't like it. Eleventy fish. Wow. Eleventy fish. Eleventy. Well, water, scales, monster, yeah, yeah, fish. I, I got it. I understand. I kept calling him Sigmund because I was thinking <laughs> Sigmund, Sigmund the, the Sea Monsters. monsters. Yeah. Um, because at first, all you see is like the top of his head and maybe his eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was very reminiscent of like 60s monster sea monster flicks mm-hmm. um no eleventy fish i loved this movie well good you tricked me i didn't trick you i just undersold you were thinking i was gonna hate it though i didn't know if you'd like it or not 
but I'm glad you did because it really it really is it's adult fairy tale it's it's romance it's uh, espionage buddy film it's a buddy film it's it's so many different things and th- and I'm finding the more I do this um, the best movies to me are those sort of mixtures it isn't just one genre it incorporates almost equally several genres at the same time I love it when something has more layers than an onion you know the complexity of mm-hmm. things I mm-hmm. th- and that's a big part of why this film gets so many fishes from me all right well I'm glad to, to so hear give that us a number I well of course five stars fish five starfish <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've I loved this movie the second I saw it the first time, and we might have to watch it again just for pleasure. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, well, really, there's no point in us watching anything. If we're not going to do a podcast about it. I mean, come on. Oh, content please. is king. Oh, pl- content is king. <laughs> but we don't have to talk about all the content. No, we we don't have to. Um, what have you watched recently? If you'd like to share anything with us. Oh, oh, so like last week I talked about that I had started to revisit the FX series that began in 2007 with Glenn Close and um, Ellen Roseburn. Her character's name is Ellen Roseburn. Damages? Mm-hmm. Okay, I had, I binged. I watched like um, episodes 6 through 13 in one sitting over the weekend. Um it's just more delightfully twisty than I remembered and such just such strong performances and such strong writing Mm -hmm. and character development and I again I love things that are multi-layered and um, surprising and I remember thinking when we first watched this the first time thinking well dang you can't even it's who who are the bad guys and who are the good guys you don't really know and um and i still love that element Mm -hmm. that um that you you even if you know what's coming you don't really know what's coming and um the surprise of that and just the twisty nature of it is just joy for me to watch Mm -hmm. and um a little bit disturbing that the minds of writers can come up with such malicious, um, evil, devious ways to advance a plot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary. Torturing their main characters or being tortured by their main characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, damages was really surprising. I mean... I think it was revolutionary. Stuff comes out of left field that you simply do not expect. Um, it's like when House of Cards was new mm-hmm. and, you know, um, he, he would do something just so crazy. Like when he knocked the, the chick yeah, off in yeah, front yeah, of the yeah, train yeah. and we both simultaneously had the big outburst of what the, mm-hmm. and I think that, I think that damages helped to pave the way for shows later like House of Cards and other such twisty um twisty exercises in intrigue Mm -hmm. um you and i watched fortune themester's stand-up special called sweet and salty that chick okay (laughs) she's fun i i yeah um she used to be a writer for chelsea handler Mm -hmm. and she's just 
North Carolina, down to earth, regular, mm-hmm. with some surprises, mm-hmm. and she, I just liked her. She was cool. She was funny. She was um, just cool and funny. That's right. Uh, sweet and salty. Sweet and salty. It's uh, it's on Netflix. If you want to watch that, uh, the the stories about Hooters are really good. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Multi level. Yes. Good. I uh, started the, I believe it's the third season of uh, Castlevania, also on Netflix. Uh, It's an animated tale about a vampire who's trying to destroy the world because uh, humanity, uh, some humans, killed his wife. Um, And uh, at the end of the second season... The story started going in a different direction, and I was uh, maybe halfway through the second episode when the power went out. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've had a week. We've we've had a week. But, um, you know, it's fine now. Uh, and I'll get back to it. I've enjoyed what I've seen so far, but to be honest, it had been a little while since season two, so I've forgotten a lot of what's happened. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's, I, I enjoy Castlevania. It's, it's, it, it's just goofy fun. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it, you turn off your brain when you watch it. It just sort of happens to you. You don't really have to invest a whole lot into it. And sometimes that's what, a, that's, that's what, what you're you looking need. for. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, no, I feel like I don't bring much to the table. It's just like I watch a thing or two, and I don't really... You you watch a lot more stuff than I do. You consume more entertainment product than I, I do. I really don't. Um, I really don't. I mean, uh, Castlemania and that Fortune Famester thing is the only thing I've really watched outside of my usual science stuff. Um, that's true how the universe works and listening to podcasts i listen to a ton of podcasts you do but uh yeah um i don't no and that's fine i probably should i feel like i'm culturally illiterate no you read and you know do uh, things that are actually good for your brain uh let's talk about some headlines um, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, according to the Associated Press, will tape without studio audiences in response to the ongoing virus outbreak. Oh, oh, okay. Y'all, public service announcement, wash y'all hands. And if you're sick, stay home. And if you ain't been washing your hands, what kind of heathen are you? <laughs> and yes, that is Southern, heathen, heathen. with an R. That's right. Like... Washing your hands is a new thing? Um, no. It's amazing how we have to remind people of that, uh, that washing your hands uh, is something you need to do. Uh, But it's even more important now. Now, the coronavirus breaks down the shell, the outer shell of the coronavirus. Uh, It's a fatty outer shell, not unlike myself. Oh, stop. um, But unlike me, uh, that outer shell breaks down in the presence of soap or a high enough concentration of rubbing alcohol. So that's why you cannot find hand, hand sanitizer, sanitizer anywhere. Uh, yet, there's still plenty of soap. So uh, try using that 
on occasion. And wash your hands for 20 seconds. That's happy birthday, sung twice or, at, a, at a decent pace. Or you can do Google searches for all kinds of more exciting ways to spend your 20 seconds singing and washing your hands. You can rickroll twice. Um, you can, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can Or sing. you can count to 20. That's a novel idea. That's boring. Anyway, a person close to the shows tells the Associated Press that the move is being taken out of an abundance of caution, a phrase we've been hearing a lot lately, yeah. given the spread of the new coronavirus in numerous communities in the United States and abroad. The source spoke on a condition of anonymity to describe the decision. The popular game shows are the latest television projects to shift plans due to the new coronavirus. Last week, CBS announced that it was suspending production on The Amazing Race in response to the outbreak. The shows will tape, the shows tape well in advance, so presumably quieter shows will not immediately be noticeable to viewers at home. Both are filmed at a studio in Culver City, California. I'm glad that they're doing this simply because of Alex Trebek. Yes, because he is in a high risk. Uh, he is group. in a high risk group because of undergoing treatment for his cancer, which appears to be going pretty well. Right. I saw a recent um, little message from him saying, you know, things are things are going okay. We're good days and bad days. Good days and bad days, but we're pressing forward and we're still doing the show. Survival rate after one year of stage four pancreatic was eighteen percent, and he's made that. And his doctors are already planning him, for the second anniversary. Tell him that uh, it's seven percent uh, for two years, but uh, he's he plan he says he and his doctor see no reason why they shouldn't be there in a couple of years. He looked pretty good, yeah. actually, during that. Well, makeup and wigs uh, they do a lot. Well, they do a lot for people who don't have cancer. So <laughs> true. According to the Hollywood Reporter, the re the release of the upcoming James Bond film No Time to Die has been moved from April to November, becoming the first Hollywood tentpole to shift its global rollout because of the coronavirus outbreak. The 25th installment in the storied span, uh, spy franchise will commence its run November 12th in the UK and November 25th in the U.S. Who's playing Bond this time? Is it Daniel Craig again? Still, this is his last one. Okay. Uh, Universal moved its Trolls World Tour release up one week to the vacated U.S. state for No Time to Die. The Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake sequel to 2016's Trolls is now set to bow on April 10th. Dave Batista's My Spy has been pushed back to April 17th an advantageous decision uh, for STX Films' family comedy following other recent shifts of major titles. And Sony has decided to uh, push the release of its Peter Rabbit sequel back by five months. Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway, the follow-up to 2018's hugely successful live-action CGI hybrid Peter Rabbit, with James Corden again voicing the famed rabbit, was due to launch in the UK and other European territories March 27th, rolling out internationally the following week, hitting the U.S. on April 3rd. But in light of ongoing events, Sony Pictures uh, releasing has now opted to shift the international release to August 7th in Europe, with the rest of the world to follow suit. So, that's that if you were looking forward to that particular release. I'm not sure why, but... <laughs> Sorry, I gotta move. Yeah, that's cool. Urgh. Um... I think I've got sci sciatica, y'all. Mm. 
Yeah, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, lots of things aren't. Don't underestimate the booking prowess of the Property Brothers. Yes, I just rolled my eyes real loud. Uh, One day we may explain that. HGTV stars Drew and Jonathan Scott are adding another series to their sizable roster. This one includes visits from Brad Pitt, Viola Davis, Melissa McCarthy, and other A-list talent. Celebrity IOU, which premieres April 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern, partners the siblings with famous guests to work on special renovations for people in said guests' lives. Each episode will focus on a different celebrity guest and end with a surprise reveal of their renovation. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, but couldn't the stars just do that on their own? Do they have to have a TV show to do it? Well, um, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, publicity. It's always, always what they're looking for. Yeah. Projects being tackled on Celebrity IOU include converting a detached garage into a, a guest retreat overhauling a backyard and updating a 70s style condo in addition to pitt davis and mccarthy participating talent include jeremy renner rebel wilson and michael buble i love rebel wilson yeah she's fun she's fun max von Sydow passed away sunday march 8th i was gonna say 11 uh he has over 100 credits to his name including 11 films with Ingmar Bergman, including The Seventh Seal. He played Father Marin in The Exorcist. And among his over 100 credits, he most recently appeared in Game of Thrones yeah. and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, born Carl Adolf von Sydow in Sweden, the actor was 90 years old. Yeah, a good run. Um, I don't know if... James Lipton had passed before we did this last week. That's um, or if that happened in the interim. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, don't worry about it. Uh, (laughs) No, I don't think he had passed. I think it might have been just a day or two after we did that episode. Some of the most fun. I'm one of these people who really enjoys. Um, interviews and things where somebody gets inside the mind of someone interesting and you feel like you get to know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. James Lipton was a master at that with Inside the Actors Studio. He talked with um, actors of all different stripes and um, was a really insightful interviewer and sometimes got things out of people where you could visibly see on the actor's face I can't believe you just got me to tell you that. And I loved, as much as anything, the interview question and answer thing the at the end. The 10 questions, yeah. Yeah, um, based upon the survey by um, Bernard Pivot. <laughs> um, that, watching that show over the years brought me more pleasure and more, ins- and one of my favorite quotes, actually, of all time was when James Lipton was interviewing Antonio Banderas on Inside the Actors Studio, and he was asking about, um, you know, when did when did it come to you that you needed to be an actor? And Antonio Banderas said, "Some people are born knowing; others die still searching." And that just hit me in my guts because there's so much truth in it not just speaking to one's vocation but to just all of life Mm -hmm. some people are born knowing others die still searching and i think 
um, I think a lot of times we're both. We know, and yet we still search. Mm-hmm. Well, we're... Sometimes it's impossible to be absolutely certain. And there are no certainties, really. Um, the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. Yeah. Um, we made reference to the fact that we had had a week. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the fact that our heat went out and then we blew a fuse. And when we got fuses to replace the fuse, they weren't the right kind they of fuse. They weren't the right kind so, of fuse. So. Um, but in the midst of all of this crazy, we had a death in the family. Mm -hmm. And... Um, some some people are born knowing, and others die still searching. Um, I think Aunt Helen was some of both. She she was born knowing a lot of what life is and who she was, mm -hmm. and I think she maybe died still searching for the next big adventure. Mm -hmm. And I, being a person of faith, I believe that that's where she is now. Is having the next big adventure. So, um, Lord knows she's with a lot of kin folks, and um, this is a little maybe off color, but I sat in the hospital chapel with my cousin Lisa and said, when it's your mama's time to go, she and my mama will be together raising hell all over heaven because that's kind of what they did when they were kids. They were they were not bad kids, no, but there they was weren't. there was mischief present. That's right. They you... were Williams women and the Williams ran strong in them. That's right. And um I knew your mom a whole lot better than I knew Helen, but um yeah, just from what I what of her I know, they were a lot alike. Much spunk, much humor, good cooking. Um, didn't suffer fools lightly. Did not suffer fools. Had had a very finely honed BS detector and an allergy to it. <laughs> like if, if it was in the vicinity, they would like sweat and itch and um, hives would... <laughs> not literally, no, but... No, no, um, But yeah, th that's a piece of our week. Yeah. So um, I would just take a moment... Coronavirus aside, um, love your people while you can. Mm -hmm. And keep loving them after they're gone because, as I said, just because someone dies does not mean that the love stops and doesn't mean that the relationship ends. It just changes by necessity. And that is a good place to stop this. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, this, of course, has been Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Uh, please like us on the various places, preferably Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Uh, you can find us, of course, on all of the podcast places. You found us, so there you go. Uh, also at our host on uh, anchor.fm. And uh, you can send us an email if you have a suggestion for a movie you'd like us to watch and us talk about. You can send that to us. Also, send us why you want us to watch it. Uh, send that to ComedyTragedyMarriage at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at CTMarriage. And join us next week when it's going to be Maud's turn. And who knows? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of Maud? That's, <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. Uh, so, again, thank you for listening, and until next time, later! later. Yay!